Over the next eight weeks, we are unpacking the Gospel of Jesus here in Colossians, which is today's reading. Um, Paul writes to a young church to remind them and encourage them to stay faithful to the Gospel. So today's reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 1. We're starting at verse 9 and we're going to read through to chapter 2, verse 7. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, through to chapter 2, verse 7. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his great pleasure, good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works at Am I? I, I look, it's the test to see if any, you're the first person who's mentioned it, no one else obviously has noticed. <laughs> Actually, it's impressive too, um, David, that you knew straight away that it was straight out of Ephesians. Yes. I'm sorry. Just um, give me a second here. That's the biggest blooper I've ever done, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Let's, let's try Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. My apologies, David. For this reason, am I on the right track? For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a, worth, a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the first burnt firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Then into chapter 2. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. That was excellent, Lois. And you didn't even rehearse that passage. Uh, no, that was terrific. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Um, uh, let me show you a beautiful wedding I was part of. So two weddings and a funeral this week. It was uh, a big week. But this is a wedding in the Hunter Valley. Uh, two days ago, uh, so Kylie and Sel Tiwani's son Taylor married Olivia. Uh, and the promises at a wedding are simple but profound. Uh, let me remind you what they are. So I, in the presence of God, take you to be my wife, husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish or protect, respect, as long as we both shall live. This is my solemn vow and promise. Uh, and at every, every wedding I uh, am part of, and every wedding I'm officiating at, I, just, I help people see just how simple but profound those promises are. Uh, unconditional, lifelong, weighty promises. And so I said to Taylor, I said, Olivia is not always going to be the radiant bride 
that you see before you today. And at this point, the whole crowd becomes a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, but I say, you know, she'll take off the wedding dress, go back to wearing tracky dacks and Ugg boots and, you know, rollers in her hair or whatever it is. She may even become a nagging, wrinkled old woman uh, in time. And you're promising that no matter what happens in the years to come, you will love her, protect her, give your life to her uh, till you are parted by death. And then I say, Olivia, Taylor is not always going to be the, the fine young gazelle that you see before you today, leaping through the trees. Uh, you know, that youthful vigour will sag. Uh, there'll come a time when the hairs on his head thin and they start to be outnumbered by the hairs on his back and the hairs coming out of his nostrils. Uh, and he may even become a grumpy, tired old man. It happens to the best uh, of men. Uh, and you're promising you will love him and cherish him. And uh, at every wedding, I know that I'm speaking particularly to the couple, but I'm well aware of everyone else who's listening. So I'm aware of those who are not yet married, who are actually thinking about you know, uh, what's coming down the line for them and the weightiness of the promises that you make at marriage. But I'm also aware that many there have been married for a long time, some for years, some for decades, um, and I want them to think about the promises that they made all those years ago. Because you know what happens sometimes in a marriage? You can kind of drift in your, in your understanding of what marriage is. And I see it when one, you know, a, a member of a married couple comes to me and they say, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, he's just become more annoying uh, over time. I didn't sign up for that. You know, this is, this is hard work. I, I didn't sign up for that. And then I take them back to the promises. I say, yes, you did. Uh, you know, the promises you made had an unconditional character to them for better, for worse, richer, for poorer, sickness and in health, till you are parted by death. It's hard work, yes, but press on, persevere. Um, now, over the next eight weeks at church, we're going to slow down and think clearly and deeply about the simple yet profound gospel of Jesus. For some of us, that's going to be a new experience uh, so for some of you, you're coming along, you're investigating Christianity, trying to find out what it's all about, and that is so great uh, if that's you, uh, and you're very welcome here, and we hope that these next eight weeks will be really enlightening, so that you'll be able to go away understanding the gospel of Jesus and having an opportunity to make a decision for yourself. Is this something that I want to commit to, put my faith in? But for many of us, the message of Jesus is something that we've been listening to for years, sometimes for decades, uh, to the point where it's almost become second nature. And yet, for those of us, we will find incredible blessing just going back to basics, just making sure that we recalibrate uh, our own thinking, thinking clearly and deeply, because it's so common to drift. Uh, it's so common to junk things up and to complicate the simple, pure gospel of Jesus. And so here is what I expect to happen today and in weeks to come. 
I expect that this will bring much needed clarity to the whole of your life. Uh, If you understand the gospel of Jesus clearly and simply, it will revolutionise your life. Our life will not be the same. And it will bring profound joy, contentment, uh, and this and a blessed assurance. Right? It's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? Blessed assurance. As you face the future, suffering, death, uncertainty, uh, if you understand the simple, pure gospel of Jesus, it will give you this peace and assurance as you face the future. Uh, so that you face the future with a confidence. Now, today I want to set the scene... Uh, So next week, we'll start on the kind of six pictures of the two ways to live gospel outline. Uh, But I just want to focus on two verses today. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. Uh, And it's part of the Bible reading that Lois was meant to read, uh, which she did. Um, So, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the enemy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want to make three points. The first one's the longer, and then uh, two other points. My first point is this. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. Right? He is the one we proclaim. Jesus. He's the one who's on our lips. And he's the one that we teach with all wisdom. Uh, and admonish and teach and so on. We Christians often talk about the gospel, uh, and in modern English, it's a kind of religious word. But in the ancient world, the word gospel wasn't a particularly religious word. It uh, It was a word known to everyone, but it was borrowed by Christians to talk about the message of Jesus. Um, But I think we'd be better off just ditching the word gospel and using the phrase good news uh, instead. Uh, And I feel so passionately about this that um, I looked up in the front of my Bible and found out who the head of the NIV translation committee was, and I sent him an email. So do you want to see the email? Uh, This is a couple of years ago. So here it is. Uh, His name's Douglas Moo, and I probably should have been a little bit more formal in my sort of uh, introduction. But anyway, here it is. Hi, Doug. I'm a pastor on the central coast of New South Wales in Australia. I'm writing with a question regarding the new NIV translation. You answered a question for me once before, so I thought I would see if your grace extended to another. Is there any reason why the Bible translators persist in using gospel instead of good news? It seems to me that gospel has become a religious word where everyone understands the idea of good news. Uh, your Your brother and fellow servant, David Sheath. Uh, So there you go. Now, do you want to see his reply? Anyone interested? All right, let's have a look at what what he said. Um, It would have been really disappointing if you said no at that point. So, dear David, I suspect gospel persists partly due to tradition. And I think that's probably right. Uh, But I also suspect that the translators think it works better in certain contexts where the focus might be more on the content than the actual proclamation, especially when it occurs in certain contexts. Uh, and, he, and he goes on, look, uh, you know, you can, you can read that if you want to. But, uh, and then he talked about COVID. I understand that the virus 
has not hit Australia as hard as it has us. I trust that uh, uh, I trust you and uh, you are well. Cordially, Doug uh, Douglas Moo. So there you go, lovely uh, email. And so basically, he's saying sometimes the word gospel is used where it's not actually good news. But I think that's the way good news works. You know, when when the Kiwis have the good news that the All Blacks have beaten the Wallabies, it's good news for them. But what's good news for them is bad news for us. Uh, but that's the character of good news. There's often someone who is feeling like, no, this is not good news. So good news often has a certain perspective. Anyway, so I wasn't persuaded, but I, I, I was very appreciative of Doug Moo's reply. Um, a ran- I think it's just lovely that a random pastor from a, a random part of Australia reaches out to this world-renowned professor, and he takes the time to answer my email. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Um, but please don't all bombard him with your own emails, because he could get weary of us doing that. But my point is, the word gospel means good news, but often in the ancient world, it was used to describe some momentous news, like there is a new emperor in the Roman Empire. Uh, So that was a gospel that had to be proclaimed throughout the empire. Uh, Good news, a new emperor. Uh, In our modern day, we had the gospel message recently. Anyone guess what it was? Well, yeah, that was not good news, but yes, yeah, that was news. Uh, And then King, what is his name? King Charles III has now been made King of England. So here he is. I don't think he's got the crown on his head yet. Does, is that part of a coronation that comes? April next year. April next year. There you go. We've got up-to-date information. Now, for many of us, that's hardly momentous news, is it? Um, it's, it you wouldn't just... We're interested, but it's hardly life-altering news. Uh, the coins, Australian coins and stuff like that, will, our currency will change... There'll be a new head on our coins. Uh, but apart from that, we don't expect the change to have too much implication on us. We, yeah? Okay, anyway. Look, I'm not trying to open up a republic or a monarchist debate here. I'm just putting it out there. Um, our gospel, our good news is all about Jesus, God's eternal king. Uh, and Jesus' resurrection and ascension is like his coronation, uh, where he is kind of declared to the world that Jesus is king. Um, So Colossians chapter 1, I'm just going to pick up a few phrases from Colossians. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, that's Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the gospel we believe and proclaim is about Jesus, King Jesus. And the gospel contains the promise that as we come to Jesus, put our trust in him, so we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of death and Satan and bondage and decay, and we are transferred to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 21, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy and blameless in his sight, 
without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So as we put our faith in Jesus, our status before God changes. We once were alienated from God, now we're reconciled to God. We were once enemies, we're now friends, but more than that, we're, we're children of God. Um, and it's all made possible through Jesus' death in our place. Um, it is such good news for each one of us personally if we put our faith in Jesus. Um, but I just want to point out that this good news of Jesus is utterly momentous. It's not just about you, it's world-changing. Uh, and it's because of who Jesus is. Have a look at uh, some of this other, other part. Just go to the next slide, I think. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Let me sub the name Jesus in as I read it. For in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. All the way back from creation, Jesus was the focus of God's plans and purposes. Next slide. Um, I've actually got a mistake here, Dave. Um, I've put too much on there. But anyway, he is the head of the body. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That last sentence is a repeat from a couple of slides earlier. Um, so, but the big announcement is that there is a new king. Um, now, when we heard the announcement there's a new king of England, uh, it, it is big news. It was on all the TV stations, but we wouldn't call it momentous. But the announcement that Jesus is God's eternal king is utterly world-breaking. Like, it is big news for the whole planet. Um, he is the king who will rule over all people, over all things, from now to eternity. He is the focal point of all God's plans for history. Uh, it's all pointing towards the kingship of Jesus. Now, this is revolutionary, if true, and we believe it is true, and it's revolutionary. Um, there was a, a big revolution that, went, that took place about three or 400 years ago called the Copernican Revolution. Uh, and just let me unpack what happened. So a few hundred years ago, the accepted view, just show us the next slide there, the accepted view was that the Earth was at the centre of the universe and everything, all the planets and so on, even the sun, revolved around the earth. Let me show you how that works. This is advanced PowerPoint technique there. Uh, there you go. So the earth's at the centre and everything revolves around the earth, including the sun. Nicholas Copernicus came along and proposed a different scheme of things uh, by, by suggesting that we should see the sun at the centre. So show us that, yeah. 
and all the planets, including the Earth, revolve around the sun, just like this. It's not to scale. No, it's not to scale. I tried to just simplify it, you know, for, for people. Um, so it, it became known as the Copernican Revolution, and no one really accepted Copernicus's ideas uh, at the time he proposed them. It took about 100 years and some you know, advances in technology and telescope and so on. It took that long before the academic and religious world shifted the way they thought about the universe and the solar system. And I want to suggest the gospel of Jesus is like that. It is a Copernican revolution. Utterly, utter upheaval in the way we think about things. So, we live our lives as if it's all about us. So let's imagine we're the earth. Uh, just, yeah. So we're at the centre. It's all about us and everything revolves around me. Isn't that how we live our lives? Even God revolves around me. Uh, and then along comes Jesus and he dies, he rises again, he's installed as God's eternal king and the gospel message revolutionises the way we think about life um, and our place in it. We realise it's not all about me after all, it's all about Jesus um, and everything including my life revolves around Jesus. Now have you had that kind of revolution in your life, where you've moved from that self-centered, it's very natural way of thinking about life, where I'm at the center and everything revolves around me. Have you made the shift to go, oh no, it's not all about me, it's about Jesus. He's the king. Uh, he's what God's eternal plans and purposes have always all been about. Even for many of us who call ourselves Christians, I think we can still drift through life kind of under the delusion that it's all about me. Uh, and we just don't practically put into practice that it's all about Jesus. Uh, for me, the, the kind of revolution in my thinking happened when I was about 19 years old. Uh, I was at university. Um, I'd been brought up going to church uh, for the, the 19 years. But when I was about 19, I grappled with the pure, simple gospel of Jesus. Stuff that I'd heard my whole life, uh, but it just kind of crystallized for me. And I realized oh, all God's purposes focus on Jesus. He's the king, not me. Um, and I guess ever since then, I constantly have to recalibrate because you know what happens? There's a drift in the way I think, you know, and, and I know it's all about Jesus, but so often I start living as if it's all about me and I need to kind of check my thinking and recalibrate. So there's the first point. The gospel is all about Jesus, our saviour, God's king who will rule forever. Uh, and have you gone through that revolution in the way you think about the world. Second point, the goal of the gospel is standing firm in Christ on the last day. Uh, notice that little phrase. He says, 
Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. There's the goal of what Paul was doing as he went throughout the Mediterranean world, proclaiming Jesus. He wanted to bring everything under the loving rule of Jesus. And so he traveled wanting to convert people, wanting to get people to have that revolution that Jesus is the king. But that was too small a goal. Paul's goal was not merely conversion. Paul's goal was the finish line at the end of history, the final day of judgment. And Paul's goal was that men, women and children, the people he had shared the gospel with, Paul wanted them to be standing firm and mature with him until that day, holding firm uh, by faith in Jesus. Now, those, um, those who have been coming for a while will know that my great sporting hero is John Stephen Akwari, the, uh, the marathon runner from Kenya. And this goes back to the 1964 Mexico Olympic Games. By the time John Stephen Akwari had entered the Olympic Stadium, he looked like a broken and defeated man. Uh, he came in hobbling around you know, on that last lap, blood dripping down his leg, his, his leg was bandaged, uh, and he just looked like a defeated runner. But he staggered around the track. The winner of the marathon had been declared hours earlier. Most of the crowd had gone home. Uh, but there was a little crowd that remained, and they cheered him as he crossed the finish line. And when he did cross the finish line, a reporter came and asked why he didn't retire. You know, why had he pressed on when he knew he couldn't win the race? Uh, and John Stephen Akwari seemed confused by the question. And finally, he answered, my country didn't send me to Mexico to start the race. They sent me to finish. And I just think that is profound, isn't it? Uh, and the gospel of Jesus is like that. Uh, it's not just about starting the Christian race. It's about finishing. And I don't want you to think, oh, we start with Jesus and then we've got to kind of graduate to some other higher knowledge. No. Jesus is how we start the race, faith in him. And in every step along the race, it's about trusting Jesus till we reach the end. So listen to how Paul captures it in chapter 2, verse 6. He says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you are taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We don't start the Christian life with Jesus and then move on to other things. We start the Christian life with Jesus and every step, every movement along our lives is by faith in Jesus until the end, when we finish. Uh, we finish the race with faith in Jesus. Uh, we've had someone recently come and join us at church and a couple of weeks ago they were talking to me and they... they um, and so this, this person's not a Christian, but they're investigating Christianity. And this, this bloke commented to me, he said, it seems like 
every sermon is about Jesus. All right? I come along to church, and it's like every sermon is about Jesus. And I was like, yes. Uh, uh, I, I just thought that was a, a great compliment. I don't think he was trying to give a compliment. Um, but that's exactly right. Over the past 20 years, no matter what part of the Bible we're looking at, it will, it will focus on Jesus by the end of the talk. Uh, and that's because we believe all of God's word ultimately points to Jesus. Uh, and, and the whole reason we gather as a people is because we want to be encouraged in our faith in the Lord Jesus as we look at God's word together. Uh, so church at one level is very predictable. Right? You come along, you know what you're going to get. You're going to hear about Jesus. But I hope just because it's predictable doesn't make it boring. Uh, I, actually, I actually feel like many would attest, no, it's not boring. Uh, we see how profoundly important Jesus is to our day-to-day lives. Uh, and it is in, it's inspiring uh, and, and uh, constantly relevant. Uh, right? So we, we want to be encouraged to faith in Jesus, to persevere in our faith in him, to not kind of drift away, to not start trusting in ourselves, but persevere to the end, to the finish line, trusting Jesus. And notice Paul's thinking is not just himself crossing the finish line. Paul's goal was for everyone presented mature before Christ, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And so my other great sporting moment, 1992 Olympic Games, Derek Redmond running the race, collapses, tore his hamstring. He's on the ground in agony and he gets up, starts hobbling, uh, you know, agonizingly around the track. And his dad in the grandstands just has this heart of compassion and he runs out of the grandstand runs onto the athletic field, puts his arm around him, and they start walking around the track together. And the officials try to intervene and try to say, no, no, this is not right. You know, he needs to do it alone. But the dad just waved him away, and together they crossed the finish line. And it was just this beautiful moment. And that was Paul's goal... And I want to suggest that this ought to be our goal as well. Not only focused on crossing the finish line ourselves, but helping as many as possible around me to cross the finish line with me. Uh, Whether that's my family members, whether that's my church family, the people I love, my friends, I want them to be there with me. We want the people of this region, even the people of this region who don't know Jesus yet, we want them to be with us on that last day, crossing the finish line into eternity, trusting the Lord Jesus. Now, before I come to the third point, I want to ask you a question. You can have a chat to the person next to you, and here's the question. Who is responsible for presenting people mature before Christ on the last day? Have a chat to the person next to you. uh, And I'll sharpen the question up. Do you think Jesus is responsible or we are responsible? So who's responsible for presenting people mature before Christ on the last day? Is it Jesus responsible 
or are we responsible for that outcome? Have a quick word. We're going to vote in just a, in just a moment. Okay, all right. Hands up if you think Jesus is responsible. Okay? Jesus is responsible. About a quarter of us. Hands up if you think we are responsible. About half of us. All right? Hands up if you think both. Okay. That, that's, oh, so some of you are holding back there. All right. Um, all right. I reckon you could have all voted fully for Jesus, fully for us. Uh, all right, so let me ask you this question. How would you break down the responsibility? Would you say it's kind of like 90% Jesus' work and 10% our work? What do you reckon? Talk to the person next to you. How, what's, what percentage breakdown would you say? Okay, all right. I'm not going to leave you agonising for too long because I know the answer, right, and I'm going to share it with you. Here's the answer. It's 100% Jesus. 100% Jesus. He's the only one who can reconcile us to God. Uh, and he has given himself fully to this task. He is 100% committed to reconciling people to God through his death on the cross. 100% Jesus. And yet, notice that Paul gives himself 100% fully to this task. It's not like he goes, all right, well, that's Jesus' job. Uh, all I need to do is just go and blurt the message out and, 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 and it's up to Jesus from that point on. Can you see how, can you see the word he uses? He strenuously contends. And so this is the next point. Our investment in the gospel, we strenuously contend. Right? So he says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. Right? We know this is Jesus' work, bringing people to God, forgiven, blameless, uh, eternally. Uh, but he calls on us to partner with him in his great work. Uh, and what we do makes a difference. This is why Paul strenuously contends. He is captured by this goal and he expects us to be captured as well. And so last week we heard from Nick and Grace and it was lovely. It was just a delight for me, you know, especially with Nick. You know, he was here from day one of our church and to hear him just say how captured he is by the gospel and he's a, he's a young guy who's, you know, an, a, a, a plumber, getting up at five o'clock every morning, heading off to work, and yet trying to squeeze into his life as, as much opportunity as he can to share the gospel of Jesus, especially with the next generation, just his commitment to the teenagers of our church. And grace is the same. And you just think, wow, isn't that a beautiful thing? to see happening, to see some young people in our church strenuously contending for the gospel. Now, let me show you someone at the other end of the spectrum. I'm not saying it completely other, but this is Russell and Nancy. Uh, and this is a photo when they first came to church 18 years ago. They came to our church as retirees willing to devote their retirement 
to the gospel of Jesus, to strenuously contend, and they have. Uh, Russell's wife, Nancy, crossed the finish line a few years ago, and she's now at home uh, with the Lord Jesus. But Russell continues to press on. And the reason I put Russell's photo up is because I was in the church office the other day, and I, I was weary, right? It was a, it was a big week uh, in church life, and so I was just leaning up against the... I was actually physically leaning against the reception desk, and then Russell came and did the same, and he just let out this big sigh. <sighs> and, 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 uh, and he's just such a lovely, lovely bloke. Um, but it was a kind of a sigh of a, a, a marathon runner, uh, and he has been pressing on with the race for years and years and years. Uh, and I know that he longs for others to not only come along and do bits and pieces, but he longs for people to gain a heart, gain a, a sense of responsibility in the task, to strenuously contend with him. And so, and, and with, with these guys, they're not complaining, but they're just giving themselves fully to the work of the gospel. Now, we're going to sing a song in a little while. Um, when I Survey the Wondrous Cross, beautiful song. And there's a verse in it that says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. And the idea is, even if I owned everything in the world and I gave it to God, well, that would be an offering way too small. Love so amazing. The love of Jesus is so amazing, so divine. It demands my... I can't remember how it goes, but my, my life, my soul, my all, right? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Now, and I, I, I pray that as you sing that song, you will sing it as a prayer uh, of offering yourself fully to the work of God, to, to strenuously contend for the gospel, uh, because it is such a wonderful message, our salvation, King Jesus, into eternity. Let's give ourselves to this. So I want, I want to kind of just wrap up by saying the gospel is all about Jesus, God's eternal King. This is a message that is utterly momentous. You know, we watch the news every night, but it is trivial in comparison to this message this is a complete life-changing revolution, King Jesus. And the gospel has the goal of bringing all things under Jesus and presenting everyone fully mature on that last day. So we run the race together, supporting one another, uh, fixing our eyes on the finish line that day when we'll stand before Jesus, not having to earn God's favour on that day, but reminding each other to keep trusting, to keep persevering. And Jesus wants us to be all in, to strenuously contend for the gospel, to know it, to believe it, and to be committed to the proclamation of the gospel, especially to this region that God has placed us in. So I'm going to pray for us to that end, and will you pray with me? God, our Father, we want to thank you so much for this wonderful good news of Jesus. 
that Jesus came to rescue us from sin and death. He came to rescue us from the dominion of darkness. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross in our place, taking the penalty for our sin. And thank you that Jesus rose again, that he has now been crowned king over all. Please help each one of us here to embrace this good news of Jesus. Trusting Jesus, submitting to his rule over our lives. And please fix our eyes on Jesus and the finish line so that on that day we will all stand before you mature in Christ, welcomed into your eternal kingdom, the Father's house. And we know that Jesus is our only hope on that day, but we pray that we will give ourselves 100% to the work of the gospel. Seeing this good news go out into our community, strengthen us to strenuously contend for the gospel all our days. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.